Oh, good morning, everybody. How are you doing? Good. It's finally December. Wonderful. We turned the last page of the calendar. And of course, most of us are now starting to anticipate Christmas and everything that goes along with that. Of course, some of us started anticipating Christmas on November 1st, right? You started getting all that stuff out. Yeah. Um, and uh, Wendy asked me, when, when can we decorate? When can we decorate? Well, um, we do a lot of things in December, don't we? We do it, we, all kinds of things, all kinds of hustle and bustle. Uh, between now and December 25th, uh, we will gather five times, including today and including our uh, children's Christmas program, which we're really looking forward to. The children are working really, really hard, uh, and we're going to just have just a wonderful time of celebrating Christ's birth uh, on the evening of December 17th. And most of us are going to attend Christmas parties and office parties and winter concerts. I know uh, some of us, are, are, our musicians here, will be uh, playing in winter concerts and winter plays. And we'll be cooking and baking. We'll be writing out Christmas cards uh, and maybe even planning to travel. Anybody planning to travel during Christmas to go see family? Uh, all of these things, all of these things we're looking forward to, we get to anticipate. But as we set out doing all of the Christmassy things, all of those things that kind of have become traditions for us, let's remember the most important thing. And the most important thing is the celebration that comes with the birth of Jesus Christ. And we, we, we commemorate the birth of Jesus Christ on December 25th, not because it was his birthday, but because historically that is when people have celebrated his birth and so that's what we do but we celebrate his birth the birth of God's only begotten son who left the riches of heaven and emptied himself and became poor in every way became human became poor so that we might receive his gift which is the gift of salvation and that we might be lifted out of despair, especially the despair of our sin. And as we journey through this Advent season over the next four Sundays, I want to do so by looking at another one of the things that many of us look forward to this time of year and that usually start way too early for most people, and that is uh, this practice of singing Christmas carols. And we sang a few Christmas carols this morning. And I, I love Christmas carols. I think, they're, I think they're wonderful. I don't think they should start being played in November. Um, but some people like it. And, and we listen to these songs all the time. And most of the songs about Christmas, the ones that we sing here at, at church, are songs about hope, and they're songs about peace, and they're songs about joy. All of the things that we talk about and think about during the Advent season. And this morning, uh, as the Burwaggers uh, shared, the first week of Advent focuses on the idea of hope. And as I was thinking about what I wanted to share with you uh, during the Advent season, these, I, this idea of these Christmas songs, these Christmas carols kept coming back to me. And, and one especially that uh, kind of captured my uh, attention years and years and years ago but is such a strong uh, song of hope is this song, I Heard the Bells, 
on Christmas Day. And we sang this song last week because Pastor Joe is stupid and told them the wrong week to sing this song. But we sang this song last week. Um, and the lyrics to the song come from a poem that was written by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, a fairly famous uh, poet. And he wrote this poem during the American Civil War. And Longfellow had had a traumatic life. Uh, he had been married and he lost his first wife while she was uh, giving birth. She had a miscarriage. And so she, not only did he lose his first wife, he lost the child that he was anticipating. He lost his second wife uh, after a tragic fire uh, that he actually rescued her from. And he had a, a facial deformity from the fire for the rest of his life, a reminder that he couldn't save his second wife. And now, um, as he is uh, sitting down and pondering this poem, the Civil War is raging. And we all know, being from Pennsylvania, being so close to Gettysburg, a lot of the history of the, just the, the tragedy of the Civil War. And it was on a Christmas morning when uh, Longfellow started hearing the bells from the church that he sat down and he wrote his poem, Christmas Bells. And the poem starts with, with joy. And we read this, the, the first verse, it says, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet, the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And Longfellow spends three verses, this one and two more verses, talking about the meaning of the Christmas bells. He says that the Christmas bells sing a chant sublime. And he sees the love, he sees the meaning of Christmas, and he hears these bells ringing, and it brings to mind Jesus Christ, and it brings to mind this day of Christmas. But then he spends three more verses talking about how this really isn't his reality right now. He talks about how non-peaceful his world is. And he writes of the Civil War, he writes of the violence, he writes that the, the song of peace on earth and goodwill toward men is drowned out by the cannons and the guns and the war. And the sixth verse of the poem reads this, and, and this is the one that really caught my attention when I was much younger. And it says, in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth. Goodwill to men. First person I ever heard sing this was Johnny Cash. Listening, uh, his, my mom was listening to his Christmas album. It's the first time I remember listening to this song. And she had told me a lot about Johnny Cash and, and, and his own trials and his own redemption. And it kind of stuck with me, this song that he would sing. But he sang, in despair I bowed my head. And I don't know if you know it or not, but there's a lot of despair in the world. I was going to say a lot of despair in the world today, but there's been a lot of despair in the world since creation, since sin entered the world. 
And we read in scriptures about the despair of individuals. We read in scripture about the despair of peoples, the anguish, the pain, the hopelessness of life, the brokenhearted people that can see nothing but darkness. And they hang their heads in despair. Most of us, if we've been around church for a while, we know the story of the people of Israel. The people of Israel, to avoid uh, starving to death during a famine, uh, moved their entire family of 70 people into Egypt. And of course, Joseph put them up in Egypt and took care of them, and they survived this famine that a lot of people weren't surviving. And things were going really kind of well for them. And they lived and they worked and they prospered. They grew their people to, to hundreds of thousands of people. Until the Egyptians, their, their hosts, started fearing that, hey, these people might take us over. And then the Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, so they, Egypt, ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. And again, I can't help but harken back to the Civil War and why that war was fought. Israel has been enslaved. Often it's said that uh, in, in Jewish literature that they, they worked in the fields, they worked making mortar and brick until they literally fell over dead. And they were unceremoniously picked up by the Egyptians, tossed to the side, and that was it. And the people of Israel watched each other being beaten and whipped. And they spent their lives like this for 400 years. And after 400 years, it got worse. After 400 years, we read that the, the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, commanded that all newborn sons weren't allowed to live. No Israelite boy was allowed to live. He actually commanded the midwives who were delivering the babies to kill the babies. All of the boys. The girls could live. So girls, really good news for you. But the boys were supposed to be killed. And we read in Exodus 2, 23 to 25, during those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and they cried out for help. They were watching their children being thrown into the Nile River to be drowned because Egypt was afraid of Israel. They were living in despair, hopelessness. And finally, after watching their children being killed, they cried out for help. And this is where the good news comes in. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God 
knew. These people who were in despair, in hopelessness, cried out for help. They had reached that breaking point. And God saw them. And he heard them. And he remembered them. And then God knew them. And God raised up a savior for his people. That person's name was Moses. And Moses delivered a message of hope that God had given to him. In Exodus 6, 6 to 8, God tells Moses, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And then he makes another promise. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Isn't that a wonderful message of hope? God is promising to rescue these people from slavery, from all of the things that have been happening to them for 400 years. He's promising to take them out. He's promising them to give them a land that they can call their own. If you heard this message, would you be excited? Or would you not be excited? Because something very strange happens after Moses delivers this message to the people in Exodus chapter 6, verse 9. It says, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but the people, of, uh, but the people did not listen to Moses. And it goes on to say, why? Because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. The people of Israel could not hear the message of God's hope because of their broken spirit and the harsh slavery that they had experienced for 400 years. They were living in despair. They had believed that no one cared. They believed that no one would do anything. They believed no one could do anything. And when they heard the message that God could and would do something, their despair was so great. Their hearts were so broken. Their spirits were so broken that in despair they bowed their heads. They didn't believe it. Maybe they couldn't bring themselves to believe it. God wanted to bring them hope, but you know what? Maybe hope is too much. Maybe hope is not something that we want to strive for. And they continued to not believe that message until Moses and Aaron 
God's messengers, put God's power on display. Moses and Aaron walked into Pharaoh's room. And they said, let my people go. And if you don't, you're going to see the power of God. And he did. He saw the power of God. God sent them ten plagues throughout all of Egypt. Not only that, he sent those ten plagues to Egypt, but didn't touch the Israelites. Everything that was happening to Egypt and Israel was safe. God was protecting them. God was showing them that he could deliver them. This is the action that Moses and Aaron took, and it started chipping away at that despair. It started to chip away at that hopelessness, and all of a sudden, some people in Israel started thinking, maybe God is for real. Maybe God means exactly what he says. Maybe he will rescue us. Church, we live in a world of despair. We live in a world that is so desperate for rescue, that is so desperate to feel peace, that they will turn to anything. They will turn to whatever lie is being told to them just so they can feel some temporary relief from their pain and from their sorrow. Just like slaves, they do whatever the slave owner tells them to do just so that they don't have to feel the sting of the whip on their backs just for one day, maybe just for one hour. They turn to alcohol, they turn to drugs, they turn to sex to try and dull the pain that they're experiencing in their lives. Except they find out after an hour or after a day or after a week, none of those things actually rescued them from anything. If anything, it enslaved them more. They allow the slave owner to convince them that if they do whatever feels good, that if they do whatever they have to do to gain power, go crush these people and you can gain power. Give up your principles and gain fame. People will love you if you just give up your principles. People will love you if you go after money no matter what. And it works for a while until they realize that it's not actually working. They realize that the things that they have just gone after enslave them even more. And then they leave reason behind when the slave owner tells them that if they want to be happy, that they've got to make themselves happy. Maybe they have to change certain things about themselves to make themselves happy because they don't like who they are. And they further enslave themselves. Many of them without even knowing. They live in pain and anguish and despair. For them, there is no peace on earth. Because there is no peace within. Their lives are a constant turmoil. They believe they have no reason to hope for release from their pain. And when they hear the message of the gospel, the message that we preach on Sunday mornings, the message that you share with them throughout the week, 
that they can be free of this slave owner and live a life of joy in Jesus Christ, they won't listen to the message. Or maybe they can't hear the message because their spirit is so broken. Because they have lived in slavery for their whole lives and they can't imagine anything else. So what can we do? How can we get them to start seeing God's message of hope as a message of hope, as something that they can receive? Well, we've got to be Moses and we've got to be Aaron. We've got to be willing to put God's love and grace and mercy and power on display for these people. They've got to see God working in us. They've got to see God working in the things that we're praying about in the world. So that that hopelessness can get, start getting chipped away. So that maybe they can start understanding, start seeing that God is real. We have to actively show them God's love by showing them our love. We need to start showing them God's grace and God's mercy by showing them our grace and our mercy. And the only way that we can do that, the only way that we can show them God's grace and love and mercy and power is by emptying ourselves of ourselves. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and 8 say, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, that who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus completely emptied himself, and then he set about working, acting, to do the things that could chip away at the hopelessness of the people of the world. He started to feed them. We read in the, in the scriptures where he feeds 5,000. He feeds 4,000. We see him clothing them when he cast the demons out of the man at Gennesaret. He had the disciples put a robe over him, cover up his nakedness. He clothed them. He healed their physical ailments. Jesus did all of these things. He ate with them. He lived with them. And he died for them. The ultimate act of showing God's love and God's mercy and God's grace. And all of the time, while he was doing all of these things, even while he was hanging on the cross, Jesus was telling them of the hope of the kingdom of God. He was telling them that God wants them. He was telling them that they can have hope. 
And these are the things that we ought to be willing to do ourselves. We need to feed people. We need to clothe people. Maybe we need to pay people's bills so their electricity doesn't get cut off, or their water doesn't get cut off, or they don't get evicted from their apartment. Maybe we need to start clothing them, and not with the stuff that's been in our closet for 15 years. Maybe we need to buy them some new clothes every once in a while. We need to be visiting them. We need to be helping them to recover from illnesses. We need to be with them. We need to live our lives with them, just like Jesus did. And even when we do that, sometimes they're still not going to listen to the message of hope. They're still going to be filled with despair. But I have good news. As you live your life, as I live my life, showing God's grace and mercy and love and power, the Holy Spirit works in the world. The Holy Spirit enters the hearts of those who are seeing God's work being done, that are seeing the possibility of hope. And the Holy Spirit works through these people's hearts. And through his power, the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, those people that are living in despair might find hope. Hope in Jesus Christ. Hope in eternal life with God the Father. The Holy Spirit works through us. And he works in the hearts of those who don't yet know God. That they might believe. The last verse of Longfellow's poem goes like this. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead. Nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail. The right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. Evil will fall. Evil will be obliterated. And right God will prevail. And I look at this verse and I think the Holy Spirit when I'm thinking about the bells pealing more loud and more deep to convict the hearts of people who don't yet understand who God is. To help them to understand that God is not dead. God is there. God is living. And God cares about and that's the hardest thing for them to figure out is that God actually cares because they think nobody does. They think they're alone. We have to show them that they're not. The Holy Spirit will lift them out of despair and show them the hope of eternal life But we've got to be willing to do our part. 
We have to be Moses and Aaron showing God's love and grace and mercy and power. As we anticipate Christ's birth over the next four weeks, we need to remember that Christ emptied himself for us. He emptied himself for me, for you, so that you might be lifted out of the despair of spiritual death and into the hope of eternal life. And we need to empty ourselves. We need to fill ourselves up with Jesus Christ. We need to fill ourselves up with the Holy Spirit so that our message is not just one of words, but of action. <clears throat> words are not going to break down any walls, but actions will. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. Thank you for this season on the church calendar where we anticipate celebrating the birth of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, let us leave behind all of the distractions. Let us empty ourselves of ourselves. And let us be filled with your Holy Spirit. Let everything that we do just be a confirmation of everything we say about you. Everything we say about the gospel. Give us the strength, give us the courage, give us the resources to stand before a world that is hopeless, and show them that there is hope. We thank you for sharing that hope with us. We thank you for your son. And we thank you for forgiving our sins. We thank you for all things. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. This morning we're going to be celebrating communion and I will be honest with you, I completely forgot this was the first Sunday of the month. Uh, but we do every uh, first Sunday of the month here at Morning Hour Chapel, we celebrate communion. Communion is the supper that Jesus gave to us. The remembrance that Jesus gave to us so that we might remember that he emptied himself. So that we might remember that he ate with tax collectors and sinners. And he didn't care what anybody thought because he was bringing the message of hope. And that message of hope culminated with his death and resurrection. Communion, that is our remembrance. 
that Jesus did exactly what he said he was going to do. That Jesus came to save us. Let me give you a few moments to prepare your hearts. If you have any unforgiven sin, ask God to forgive you so that you can come up and take communion with a clear heart. I'll give you a few seconds. On the night before his death, Jesus gathered with his disciples in an upper room to celebrate the Passover. And we know Jesus as the Passover lamb, the one who takes away the sins of the world. He knew that the next day he would be mercilessly beaten. He knew that he would be dragged through the streets carrying a 200-pound cross. He knew that he would be nailed to it. He would be mocked and ridiculed. And he didn't care. Jesus came to be broken for us. Jesus came to suffer the most violent death imaginable so that we might know peace. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread. He broke it after he blessed it and he gave it to his disciples and said, take this and eat it. This is my body which is broken for you. Each time you eat it, do it in remembrance of me. This is the body of Christ. After supper, he took the cup and he blessed it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and drink this, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. The old covenant was the law. The new covenant was forgiveness of sin through the blood of Jesus Christ. This is why he came. And on the day of his death, he emptied himself of his blood for us. This is the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our hope. Jesus Christ is the only way to truly feel the peace of God. This week, empty yourselves of yourself. Let us fill ourselves with Jesus Christ, the light of the world, and let that light shine in our speech and in our actions so that people might know hope. God bless you.